I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to season 28, episode... 16? Yes. <laughs> episode 16. Seamless. Seamless. But no one noticed. We are. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is Happy Tech Service Podcast. My name is Stu. Stork. I'm Kurt. <laughs> and in this episode, where I didn't write in the, the in this episode part, because I was... <laughs> I was doing... We have an email from... Sean, from just outside Washington, D.C. again. again. Yeah. And this time he wants to, he's writing about running away. Run, run away. <clears throat> See chameleon lying there in the sun. All things to... <laughs> run, run away. You know... <laughs> Who did that song? Slade. I was I was driving here and I'm like, who did that song? And I <laughs> had to it look up, it up. And it's really catchy. And oh yeah, it it's is. like a 1980s. It's going to be stuck in probably all of 1980 your heads. band Slade called Runaway. Run, run away, and it's it's not the world's greatest current song, but damn, is it catchy? <laughs> it is catchy. It is an earworm. Yeah. Because it's, it's got a melody that sounds familiar, because it probably has aspects of. Other very familiar melodies it, it just stitched sits, together. It just sits right in that pocket of human, like da 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 da. It's a, it's a call and answer thing. Right. Da, 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 da. It's amazing. All right. Uh, run, run away. It's in your head, isn't it? I'm really trying. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I have a trick for driving songs out of my head. Yeah, so. It's I, all I have to do is let the screaming get louder, and it drowns everything else out. <laughs> Oh, you're you're like me. It's like uh, they tell me to not listen to the voices, but I just ignore them and keep on killing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> uh, a, a, G- a GMing tip for a first time GM. Does anyone have one? Uh, my wife has one. Oh, okay. So uh, from Mary, uh, her her tip is um, as much as you can, let the players do what they want to do. So essentially, yes and, right? Um, if it fits, if you can construe a way it fits within the setting, don't worry about the system mechanics. But if you can construe a way that it will work within the setting, the overarching setting, let them try. Maybe you know that's when the dice come in, and, and that's that's when you have dice adjudicate, and maybe you decide that it's going to be a really improbable thing, but that's when you roll. A natural three or a natural twenty or right. whatever, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you know, we've got, you know, well, you beat the odds. That that's literally exactly what you just did. You beat the odds and you made it work. Um, but if you cannot think of any way that whatever it is that the player wants to do uh, will fit within your understanding of the setting as a GM, then offer. You know, this is where the no but comes in. Offer up. It's like I don't think that will f- actually work, but maybe if we try like this slightly different option, slightly different way, like I could, I, I could see, I could see, try that, you know. Or so, like, let's say you're you're playing a game that has like very realistic physics and things like that, sure, and someone yeah. wants to try something that defies some law of physics, right? <clears throat> try to come up with some some other alternative way that they can right. do that without actually breaking the rules of the universe. That's yeah. That is of common understanding. Yeah, uh, I had a, I, I ran a uh, um, <laughs> very short-lived Wild Talents game back in the day that um, one of the players uh, had his uh, his uh, special power was gravity manipulation, mm-hmm. and so he would you know it's like I want to take that thing off of his desk, so I'm going to create a pocket of gravity, and I'm like, okay, well, I understand that's going to pull like. Everything. If it's strong enough to pull that, what else is it strong enough right, to pull? You know, it's like, and I was like, you know, I understand how gravity works at least better than the player does. Right. Now, I'm not saying I completely understand how gravity works, but um, but I, I have a better understanding. Mm, I don't think it. anyone completely understands what gravity works. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are some who say that gravity does not actually exist. Um, Birds are fake. Have you heard that one? Uh, you believe in the moon? 
Fennel no, no, exists? It's the idea Labian. that gra- gra- gravity doesn't actually exist. It's a curvature of space-time created by masses. And sure. all you're doing is it's just following the curve of space-time. There's no sure, actual it, force of gravity. But anyway... Um, the screaming yeah, in my head like, just drowns out the part I don't understand. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of worked it ways like, okay, well, here's what you're trying. I understand what you're trying to do. I'll, you know, okay, this we'll we'll figure out and roll and see if it works. Have some kind of a give and take or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or the uh, the other suge- the the other one that I've heard GMs use is the I will let you succeed with a cost. Okay. I I was gonna say that the notebook is actually a really good thing. Throughout life, even when you're dealing with employees and such, because just saying no, any any negotiation, any yeah. negotiation is a really really good thing, and that's ostensibly what you're doing at that point is you're negotiating with your players, and and rather than just saying no, which is completely blocking, and we use it in when we talk about it theatrical terms, that's why yes and is so important. It's a you accept what they're doing and you're building upon it, and then they say with the yes and, if you can't yes and, a no but is a second choice. Yeah. Because now you're still accepting the gift, but you're changing it to yep. do something else, and that's that's a legitimate thing. And GMs, I think, can know but a lot. What what I've discovered from my youth, and I think maybe it's maybe a certain style of GMing, is that there's almost this adversarial uh, take where the GMs set up their world and the players go in, and then the GMs sort of punish their players by throwing <laughs> monsters at them and stuff, and it's ha 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 ha, you know, yeah. you got and and no buts and yes ands. Are there to help ease that away, to help keep the GM and player adversary adversarialness to a minimum. Sorry about that. That's and, just and telling us that we're. It is sharing. yes, and it's a it's a common problem. It's, I, it's something I grew up with, which is like I would always keep my plans close to my vest and spring them on the GM at the very end so that he couldn't come up with counters. And so something like a no but and a yes and is there to keep us from fighting with each other. Yeah. <laughs> Remembering to turn the volume down on my phone. And I'm going to guess now that people, because the, the chat room just told me there's no sound. Oh, no. Every time huh? OBS updates, it changes the settings for audio. So, so they nice. didn't hear any of that? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, the stream, but that's, you know, not, not as many people as will listen to the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think. We're talking. We're t- just very briefly, just sum up for them again. So uh, it, essentially, it's the yes and. If if the player wants to do something, and you can construe any way in which it will work within your understanding of the setting, let it let it happen. Right. You. It might be a very high or very low probability of happening, but um, let it let them do what they want. Essentially, and in, I, I, to I think degree. I think the um, the. The the best thing to to sort of avert that sort of misunderstanding that you can have when a player wants to do something that doesn't fit into the sort of rules of physics of the world is to make sure you have a session zero. We explain as you know as thoroughly as you can what you're looking for thematically. In in, in, in a campaign that is definitely a thing. In a one shot in a like That's a tougher. con yeah. a con situation that. You can't really do that. Also, sometimes things arise that you need to address on the spot. Like, for example, your little gravity pocket thing. Which is like, all right, we need to stop now and discuss how gravity works in this system. I hadn't hadn't thought to bring it up in session zero, so I'm going to address it now. Right, yeah. The demons that project gravity. (laughs) All right, and they can now hear us again. Yay. Okay. Sorry about that. Well, have to thank listen. you, thank you, chat room, for uh, <laughs> letting us know. Trouble checking <laughs> the, the audio recorder. Hardware, perfectly fine. Always works. <laughs> well, mix software, <laughs> mix it, put a computer into it. Not always. <laughs> Every time this, it I, this thing has never failed. This is a little hardware recorder I have. It's a Tascam, and I use it to record the audio when we're in the studio. And it, it never. Nev- it, it, the only time it screws up is when someone. Forgets to press record, it's which awesome. you can't blame on the machine. No, no. I, I remember I when that. those things came out, and they're game changing. Oh I yeah, mean, people use them for like professional recordings and everything now because yeah. they make various qualities and sizes. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it they're is a complete and total game changer when it comes to digital recording. Yeah, yeah this will record at twenty four bit, and they're not that expensive. No, they're no. Re- and they work with everything. Yep, they're a really great. I, yeah. If you're yeah. looking to start your right. podcast, or <laughs> even if you're an amateur musician and stuff, yeah. you, you stick one of those like out in the front. Front row, you can record the whole show, and you can actually get decent quality out of it. Yeah. Anyway, they're fantastic. I love them. Um, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and start the email. 
Um, and it's then a longer one. This time. It is a longer one. It's two and a half pages. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's good. It's a good sized email. This is from Sean from just outside Washington D.C. And I put the title as "Run Away." Run, run away. This is, this is, this is the, the the guy who wrote in last week too, right? Yeah, from yeah. Un, some undisclosed location outside just outside of, Washington D.C. I actually know some friends who built a recording studio in Arlington, which is just outside of Washington D.C. Right. He was actually, and they named it Undisclosed Location Studios. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's in Arlington. Exactly. <laughs> he was in the chat last week, and I think he said he's in Maryland. Okay, well, Arlington's Virginia, so he's on the other side. Is that, is that where the know. Pentagon is? No, the Pentagon's, Pentagon's in Arlington. I thought he said, maybe it was Virginia. Anyway, he I know he was in the chat, and he sort of... He specified a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he wouldn't want to be too specific. You also right. don't if you're actually, if you're actually in Washington D.C. Sometimes you wait, don't wait want a to second. Where Washington the fuck is the NSA located? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this may be our handler. Did you? Uh, <laughs> they're wait. in Fort Meade, Maryland. <laughs> Fort Meade. Oh God! Thank you, sir, for sending us your email. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Please don't disclose my porn viewage history. <laughs> <laughs> or do you? you? Might get dates out of it. <laughs> Dearest Happy Jackers, Jackophiles, and the Happy Jacks Nation, today's letter is an ad- for the advice show is about how PCs can always surprise you and ask you and ask your thoughts about fitting into the mold of DMing of another person's game. I'm guessing you are familiar with Frederick Nietzsche's phrase, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Nietzsche. It's from Crystal uh, Wanda. Is it? No. I've never is been it? a Nietzsche fan. I was more is of a Camus it? guy. Yeah, it was there, uh, uh, <laughs> the character in Vishkal Wanda, um, um, the Kevin Klein character. Otto. Otto. Was yes. always quoting. That's Italian for eight, you know. <laughs> he was always quoting Nietzsche. He was quoting a lot of things, yes. all of them wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That and the London Underground is not a political movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Those are all. Those are all wrong, Otto. I looked them up. I looked them up. <laughs> She's so great. That whole movie is pretty. Oh, it's. Uh, yet, does it make us stronger if not being killed is largely a function of having run away, <clears throat> rather than face the challenge, rather than try to answer that question? answer this right away. First, some context. I will say right off the bat that you are at least getting s- some good cardio. <laughs> so, Zombieland. <laughs> live to run away so you can run another day? Yeah. <laughs> I recently had Dave the... Braves, Robin. <laughs> I recently had the honor and pleasure of being a guest DM for a D&D 5e game, my first foray back into D&D since 3.5. Uh, the overall concept of the game is to have, and I actually lo- really liked this idea, and it mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of the TV series Sliders a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the overall concept. Uh, two sentences in. Two sentences in. The overall concept of the game is to have different, is to have a different, possibly recurring group of DMs that facilitate adventures for a core group of players. If you're wondering how this works, at the very beginning of the game, the PCs encountered an artifact which caused them to shift across worlds and time. With every jump, they retain their memories, character features, and gear, except for the artifact, which they must find in a new story arc in hopes that the next jump will take them home. Like Quantum Leap. It's like both of those shows. (laughs) It really is. Um, Each... Let me just say that we did a version of this back in the day when we were playing Champions. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, each DM would run like a little story arc. And usually it came out of necessity. It was like, I don't want a GM today. So what would happen is we all kind of basically played in the same version of the world. It's like when comic books would cross over or you had like four different Spider-Man comic books, each taking place in New York, but different stories going on. It was kind of like that. But what ended up happening was there was one character who never G- or there was one player who never GM'd at all. So his character ended up getting all, <laughs> all, the, XP. all the XP. So by the time you know a GM was done with his story arc, he would come back in and he was severely underpowered. He'd be like, it took us a while to figure out. We're like, wait a minute, Nick, you you've been in all of our games. Wait a minute. <laughs> so so he GM'd and TPK. Yeah. <laughs> No, he never DM'd. Okay. We all just like gave ourselves extra XP to keep up with him. Because otherwise he was like, yeah. Okay. Each DM story arc is a one-shot that takes place between jumps and sandboxed from the other DM's arcs. Because different universe, etc. 
uh, although DMs are given the option to communicate and plan with each other. Then, with some production editing magic, um, a couple of the players take the recorded game and turn it into a podcast. For some shameless promo, uh, through the interwebs, f- uh, search the interwebs for Adventures from Glenview Mansion podcast. Glenview, G-L-E-N-V-I-E-W, Mansion. Spelled the traditional way. Right. <laughs> all one word. All, well, Glenview is all one word. And Mansion is all one word. Yes, and Adventures. And so is podcast. <laughs> there are a few episodes out as of this writing. Who puts the dick in pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Uh, uh, there are a few podcast episodes out as of this writing, um, and the podcast will likely run through at least the summer and possibly longer. I was I was the third level story arc DM and had never played with anyone in this group. Uh, this was fine since I've run plenty of one shots for various groups before the group was great we all had a good time i find one shot gaming with strangers to be the perfect way to be surprised by players and their pcs and this group certainly did that without knowing much in advance about advance about player encounters preferences i tried to provide a balance balanced mix of social mental and combat challenges you want someone else to take over? go ahead the social and mental encounters went well but the combat encounters blew my mind. Most of the D&D, as well as non-D&D players, characters from other games, and more than ha- were more than happy to slay opponents and loot treasure, sometimes to the detriment of my NPCs. Occasionally, players, characters from other games used a mixed diplomacy and other non-lethal combat options to overcome without killing to resolve combat, typically linking these approaches to role-playing character classes, alignment, or backstory. What surprised me about this group was their persistent preference to avoid combat altogether. They always led with social skills and character abilities, such as the... Over... Calm emotions. Such as calm emotions spelled to prevent irritating combat. Initiating. (laughs) I'm sorry, I like irritating combat. (laughs) (laughs) To prevent prevent initiating combat uh, or tried to run away when combat started. I've had individual players in previous games avoid combat encounters, but never an entire group avoid combat as if it were an allergy. From what I knew of these characters, none were specifically anti-physical conflict. The party consisted of chaotic neutral wizard, a lawful good barbarian, chaotic good transmutator wizard. Sometimes the group's preferred strategies worked, and sometimes it only delayed the inevitable combat from happening. You know, I too am allergic to getting hit in the face with an axe. It's not weird, so why? Yeah. <laughs> I roll so badly on dice, I just prefer not to be in conflict at all. <laughs> That's a fair point. If yeah. I can just avoid it altogether and talk my way out of it. Yeah. Uh, with my guest DM story arc complete, I reached out to the players to learn more about this playstyle preference, and one player noted that his character became extremely averse to violence after a traumatic fight in a previous DM story arc, and I thought the strategy would offer better, uh, and he thought the strategy would offer better engagement for podcast listeners. That's an interesting point. Yes, it is. That w- I mean, we kind of... I don't know if we do it advert, you know, on purpose or not, but... Sometimes. We, we don't have tend to have a lot of combats in a lot of our APs. When they do happen, they tend to be the more of the set-piece things rather than... When you know you're being watched, it affects the yeah. outcome. So and it is. I mean, watching people play a role-playing game, acting... Interacting with each other is a little more interesting to watch than watching people play what roll is essentially a, bo- a board game. Yeah, roll dice and move minis. I mean, it yeah. depends on the board game, I suppose. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I wait feedback from the other two players. Ultimately, while a surprising and good learning experience, this phenomenon was entirely manageable and did not seem to negatively affect anyone's enjoyment. So, if everything is peachy keen, why write about it in an advice show? After that potentially superfluous background info, I finally came to the crux of the matter. Do you want to take over? Sure. It's a new new, uh, new thread here. In my usual games, I award experience points to PCs for overcoming any type of encounter. They can overcome combat combat encounters through lethal, subdual, or non-violent solutions. I'd like to think I'm rather flexible on what it means to overcome an encounter. However, to me, running away is simply surviving an encounter and not necessarily overcoming it. I may award a small amount of experience points for running away from an encounter if the PCs learn something that they could use later. Like, the enemy's way too overpowered for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We're, we're level three, and that is an ancient red dragon. Right. You 
I'm hiding. <laughs> you know, like when you're yeah. playing a role playing game online, it's like if you take on the end boss at level two, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, so running away has the game mechanical effect of taking longer to earn their next character level. Okay. This recent game awarded experience by milestones. The PCs earn a level automatically when they complete each DM story arc, at least for now at lower levels. In the grand scheme of things, this could be f- this could be fine since the PCs completed the overall story arc objective. However, it leaves me wondering if the PCs should earn that level regardless of if they continually avoided rather than overcame multiple encounters before reaching that arc's final objective. Hence, my motivating question about getting stronger from that which does not kill us. Right. I feel that having multiple DMs could complicate this issue, but can be mitigated by having DMs with adjacent story arcs to be on the same page and together manage player expectations. Yes, communication Mm -hmm. is key. My questions for today's show crew are... I guess that would be us. Mm -hmm. The crow shoe. The crow shoe? The crow shoe, yeah. One, have you ever had an entire group of PCs use an avoidance strategy towards combat encounters as their default approach for all combat in a game? If yes, how did that go? Should we... Go through these one at a time. Sure, or yeah, let's go through them one at a okay. time. Uh, every no. time I play no, GURPS, <laughs> every time I play GURPS, that's our uh, strategy. Every every game. <laughs> that's there. I mean, it's, it depends. It depends if the players players feel they have an upper hand or they have some kind of tactical advantage. They tend to not be as as um, uh, unwilling to go into combat. Like in D and D, you know, you're not going to die. You might get really clobbered. It's, it's hard to die in fifth really edition. You got to you got to lose all those death rolls. But when you're in Traveler or Zerps or something really deadly like that, you really think about like, oh yeah, can we do this? And then also, depending on how many unknown variables are in the combat, I've noticed that players will tend to be a little more reluctant <clears throat> to engage and will t- more likely try to talk their way out of it, or at least try to get into a position or forestall it long enough to get into a position where they th- think they have a perceived tactical advantage, which may in turn cause the people they're going to fight to to reassess whether or not they want to have a combat. So, yeah, I have had that happen. We had a whole vampire game where nobody did anything because we were afraid to do anything. <laughs> Let's put a pin in this one too. Yeah, you guys had a bulletin board full of like <laughs> yeah. story arcs that Dude, were just sitting there. Like, like after like the like, like, guys, one of these? just do something. It's <laughs> like, but we don't want to die. You won't. Die. You're Trust already me. dead. That's do the best part. Something. You're vampires. You're already dead. You don't need to worry about death. You're already dead. We're all just, we're all just cowering. That was oh. so funny. Yeah, that was that was a very shining example of players that were did not want to. And it wasn't just con. It wasn't just con. Combat. It's like this is anything. a touchy political situation. I think let's put a pin in that because we live for ignore it for a while. Live forever. You don't want to screw something up that you then have to then deal with. And you know what? Case. If thinking of it as immortal vampires, yeah. most problems if you ignore them long enough, they don't. might just go away. <laughs> what, what, why would you raise your head above the, uh, the clouds so that people go? Are you a vampire? You want to? You're just you're trying to hide and feed and go back to bed every day. That's, gotta, your, that's your goal. Got to maintain that masquerade. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so why would you go and like stir the pot about anything? You're just going to make yourself, you know, a target, and that's the last thing you want to do. And I think typically, I don't, I don't mind if. I mean, most, I, I would say probably the majority of the game sessions I have don't end up having combats in them. Usually, the combats tend to happen either in the very beginning and the very end. But if they happen in the middle, they happen organically. And if the party is like, eh, we don't want to get in a fight right now, that's real easy to avoid getting in a fight. Unless they attack you first. Unless, they're un- unless you're fighting like zombies. Right, or other vampires that attacked us. That's, right. That's something you ended up doing, which is like, well, we're not going to do anything. So yeah. we got a Justicar showed up, and he's coming at you with a knife. What do you do? Like, right. Oh, can we run away? Not in time. Damn it. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing now that the, the game I'm currently running, because I have... Uh, out of my five characters, three of them are charisma-based characters. Ah. So um, they actually have tried in not all, I won't even say most, but a lot of their uh, of the encounters they've had, they've tried to talk their way out of it first. Sure. You, you play to your um, strengths. If you're a charisma-based yeah. character, it's like, I'm very persuadey. No, I, I mean, mean, you made a character once as very persuadey. Yeah, these are, these, are, these are charisma-based characters, so we have two warlocks and a sorcerer paladin. So it's like, yeah, no, we'll absolutely try to talk through this, but uh, then we will fuck you up. <laughs> it, it goes badly, so... You know, right. So. Uh, uh, Ignatius Wang mentioned L5R, which is another game where people will heavily avoid conflict, 
for in-game reasons as because well. Because everything has a con- uh, has consequence. A consequence, yeah. 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 Everything. And, and, and theoretically, so should it in D&D. It's just not as immediately apparent. Right. It's more onus on the GM to come up with those... There's a lot more class problems. You know, if yeah. You, if you well, the, the other thing is that the the more fiddly a combat system is, the more of a game in, un, in and of of itself it is. Yeah. Right. And that, and D and D certainly fits into that category. Yeah. And some people like playing board games, which is kind of what a lot of. I mean, GURPS is combat and GURPS is a board game. Mm. It's and Savage Worlds. Yeah, you got movement and you've got cones of effect, and they and they're, and they're <coughs> constructed to make them fun. Yeah, but it's also you don't want to have to make a character, right? <laughs> and there's there's even some rules that apply. It's like if you've got a speed, it makes you move the board faster. So at some point, there's a mechanical advantage to actually laying the minis out and having a board that's, that's baked yeah. into the rules that you don't want to ignore all the time. You're like, yeah. I built this character specifically for all these moves and for all of these area of effect things. Uh, damn it, we're putting it down on the board so I can use them. Yeah. Don't just hand wave it for me, damn it. Yeah. I spent points on these. Yeah. That's that's like Windy Drawers and his and his <laughs> his palace that he invited you to a party at, and you're, right. all, and you're all and the whole party's like, we're not going there. No way. <laughs> we're going to figure out a way to assassinate this guy someplace on our terms. Yes, right? smart. And then my map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember exactly. that. We're like, and you, to your credit, Stu. See, this is where Stu is, makes a great GM, and he's always done this. To your credit, he goes. He said to himself in game, he goes, "Yeah, why would they go into?" <laughs> <laughs> that is the dumbest idea. You know, you're right. Why would you do that? Yep. Because most games would be like, I made a map. Guys. I'm going to force you guys to get into this. No, you can't. There's a wall of force. You can't go into the bar anymore. No, you have to go into the palace because I made the map. And I had this <laughs> big sheet of paper. Yeah. I and know. I made I made the whole area out to scale. Yep. So it was a combat map yeah. as well as just a, a map yeah. of the guy's estate. And it, yeah. like, I still to this day marvel because I'm not sure I had the fortitude to do that. <laughs> because you get in the game and he literally took a step back and went, "Yeah, <laughs> why would you go into his palace? That makes yeah. no sense." And then in my head, I'm going, "Why the fuck did I spend all this time on this thing?" <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I had that. Never going to go. It's yeah, that, so I had that same uh, reaction uh, very recently in the the game that I've been running. Yeah, is because uh, I'll, I'll design my I design my my dungeons in AutoCAD and print them out on yeah. three oh boy. foot by four foot <laughs> oh, it's sheets. Fun. It's so because I have access to those sure, kinds yeah. of tools, and um, you know it's. I, this most recent one, I actually did a full isometric map. Oh no, it's, kidding! So instead wow. of like uh, square or hex grid, it's full isometric. So you know, it looks. It was more of an exercise for me, but it was like, but they're mm. they, they, they're they're running away from it. I love a relationship with maps. My first traveler game at a con, I printed up a, a ship that was three levels, and it was as long as his table. Yeah, it was too scale, and everybody. Were you in that? And people moving no, around. No, I don't and think it I was, was in that. Fun, but oh, but was that the Grendel? No, that was no, a, that, was that was a different, different one. This was yeah. a traveler game, so it was yeah. all. In oh no, I remember. I wasn't in that game, but I remember it. Yeah, these giant maps. Anyway, uh, so second question. What are your thoughts on awarding experience to PCs that run away from an encounter, and would that response differ based on the type of encounter? Um, that's an interesting... I mean, most of the games I play aren't, like, you don't award experience per encounter. It's You award experience when you hit milestones, or or just generally for each session. Right. That, Which is he different. He talks about that. He says a recent game awarded in Spirits by Milestones. He said a really great thing that I'm trying to find right now about... But, no, he, what they're doing is every GM basically runs a session, and then the players level up after that session. And he's... Yeah. Right. But, I mean... Certainly, you're, if, if the players come up with a creative way to get ro- around what was meant to be a combat encounter, you should give them the XP. Yes, for it. They, absolutely. They defeated the encounter. Reward creativity. <clears throat> Always reward right. creativity. But I don't know if I would give like if you're let's say, let's say let's say you know that you're they they need to get past these guards, right, to get into this place for the storyline to continue in a certain direction or whatever. So they they come up to the guards and they try whatever it is they're going to try to get past them. They can't get past them, so then they realize the only way we're going to get past them is to is to kill them. So they turn around and walk away. Right, and then maybe maybe try to come up with another way to get in. But or they would they like, can try oh, to come okay. up with another way to get in. But the act of of turning around and going the other direction 
I don't know if I would have word experience. For that. Find, he, had a, he had a sentence in his statement here that I thought was really, uh, which is basically when you avoid a combat encounter, you just it, you don't get experience from it. But uh, anyway, uh, See, reminds, I might. This reminds me of something that I heard a while ago that really stuck in my mind, and I've been waiting to sort of bring it up and discuss it. Which is, it's maybe specific to D anD D, but when you're only awarded experience for killing things, why would you? Say then at Harry Potter's Wizard School, why would you not just because you don't get experience for learning anything? Why don't you just have a dungeon full of, of goblins? You go down there and blow them away and get your experience up that way. So every for every goblin you kill, you get experience, but you don't get experience for casting a spell. You don't get experience for right. And this is maybe older versions of D anD D. So there's something to be said about awarding experience for things that other than combat so and having to work that out. I I actually heard I was watching some uh, like history of D anD D video or something got. And apparently, supposedly, I'm not entirely sure how accurate this is. The very first version of D and D, whether that be actually chainmail or whether it's like the very first Dungeons and Dragons, you actually got experience for avoiding combat. You did not get experience for killing things. I don't and think chainmail. I don't remember if chainmail had an experience system. I don't know if so. It maybe did. it was, but the. That went away <laughs> in yeah. every subsequent edition uh, of D anD D and most um, uh, other role playing games as well. Uh, I mean, uh, Power about the Apocalypse, you get experience for failing, right? Um, which I think is actually cool. Um, and um, that actually makes kind of a lot of sense. Yeah, you learn from your failures. Yeah, yeah kind of thing. Um, I, I. I Give uh, XP in my D and D game for cool role playing moments and such. Um, you know, Sad separate, true. separate and above whatever they get from you know defeating a, a horde of zombies or whatever it is. Um, because I, again, I want to reward that kind of a thing, and right. it is. Um, you actually have to dive in and read the full dungeon master guide before you find out that. Oh no, that's actually recommended in the DMG mm-hmm. is to give XP for creativity and for uh, uh, role playing moments and, and things like that. It's just it's not it's it's not listed as easily uh, accessible as, as like this monster is worth this amount of XP right, right, or whatever. Like, but like the the versions of D anD D that I've actually read the DMG for, which is in my case. Three, five, uh, four, and f- and five. All of them have that. Right. It's just buried in the. Oh, DMG, sure. Buried way deep in the DMG, and it, like you have to actually read the whole. It might be in thing. the first edition. I've got a copy of the first edition one, and yeah. but it, that is, it is an organizational nightmare. Yeah. It's like it's like Gary Gygax went and decided I'm going to write a bunch of essays on on GMing. He did, and I'm going <laughs> to kind of collect them in here, and I'm yeah. also going to throw in a bunch of ch- tables that I didn't have room for in the player's yeah. handbook. <laughs> Yeah. And they were still working out this whole role play thing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that 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 might be in there. And I've read that book extensively yeah. back when I used to play first edition D anD D. And it's probably in there somewhere. But there's the, and then you're you're getting trying to go through all that high gag action too. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I found the sentence I was looking for. Okay, it may it may clarify what we're doing. So, um, however, to me, this is from his email, yeah. which I think he answered his own question. However, to me, running away is simply surviving an encounter, not necessarily overcoming it. I may award a smaller amount of XP points to, uh, for running away from an encounter if the PCs learn something that they could use later. Yeah, right. So if if, if some ends of that combat encounter happen anyway, like they're right. able to glean some information, they would have de- def- that they would definitely have gleaned having won the encounter. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can <clears> too. <throat> uh, to to me, and it's something I think I've always done, which is I would hand out. It makes it sound like kind of an, a nightmare because you got to keep, or the, at least the players have to keep track of their XP. But I would dole out XP for different things, you know. Like if your wizard saved the day with a really creative use of a spell, I might award right. twenty yeah. XP points for that because it's 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 not necessarily like quite like the mechanical effect you get at Savage Worlds for you know, um, uh, like bennies, or- bennies and all that. But it is it is like yeah, that was a really you know really great use, and here's some more XP for that. Yeah, what what I do for mine is I just I have a, a series of tick marks essentially. It's like you know this char- I have a list of the characters, and if they do something that was really cool, uh, I put just a little tick mark, and then at the end of it, I add up the tick marks, multiply by by 150, and that's how much XP they get for cool RP. Okay. 
The, um, the so. problem with having a really squishy scale like that is you get people that are very dogmatic and very everything has to be in a yeah. column, and they're like, "How come? How come he did that in XP and I did the same thing and didn't get it?" I, your rules are your rules are arbitrary. Yes, they you're are. Not, you get that guy, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then all of a sudden you're like, "Well, they are kind of arbitrary," you know? Yep. And I, and I, like I, I make better than him, and I make no bones about the fact that this is an arbitrary system. So you right. need to, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's part but, of, part of they, session zero. They, you need yes. to have that discussion. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it was part of the session zero. It was part of the the discussion. It was like. You know, here, here, and, and it's it's going to be relatively minor comparatively, especially now that they're at really high levels and they're they're facing off against monsters that are worth thousands of XP, and it's like one still one point of of uh, of cool RP is still only worth 150. Right. So I mean, it, it has a it has a, a diminishing returns essentially over the course of the game. Well, you should do it like the rest of D anD D, and that should go up with their level. Well, <laughs> you should multiply it by 150, then multiply it by their level. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think you could still get hand out. They'd all be free. level twenty by now, though. right? <laughs> I think you could still hand out a pretty significant amount of XP if a yeah. player does something a really creative use of a spell or uses utilizes the environment. What, in I, a really what I've found way is that, that, that the, way, the way it actually works works out is that I'm as the game has gone on, I've gotten better about recording those moments, so they get more of them, right? And they've been better about doing. Those kinds of things. They've learned as players, and they've been pr- uh, providing more of those kinds of cool moments, so they get more of them. Right. I actually so. like to encourage. Maybe it's because it's my play style too, which is creative, you, uh, creative play. It's you don't just have to draw your sword and attack everything that comes your way. Is oh, can you sneak around it? What's the environment look like uh, when you're in combat? What can is there a tree I can hide behind? Are there hills? Are, are there boulders I can knock mm-hmm. it on? Is there is there a chandelier that I can knock down <laughs> from the ceiling and, right. and trap all the all the goblins underneath? Absolutely. I love stuff like that. It's not illegal in D anD D, but D anD D doesn't really make you you know. It's like all right. What is, what, how, how would you share a chandelier? Oh, what, how do you have to hit it? Uh, how many points does the rope have? And then when it drops, oh god, this is too hard. Just right. just attack the cobalt. Don't don't. Why are you doing this? <laughs> um, but there's but, but there even even every almost every version of D and D has a, like a, ver- a a rule for like yes. here's here's like a general. Uh, resolution mechanic you can use for stuff the players come up for that's not covered anywhere else. But I, and I, I know fifth edition has it, and I'm I, sure fourth edition had it. And but I think reasons. your players should be rewarded for really creative sure. thoughts like that. It's like you're fighting in a mountain pass, and you as a GM are like, "All right, so uh, I've got all my bones," and the guys look up and go, "Can we knock the boulders down on them?" And you're like, "Yes, yes, yes, you yes, can. you can." <laughs> I didn't. What a great! Here's a bunch of XP because that was awesome. Congratulations, you are now Ewoks. Um, now, Bill brings up a point. He's in the chat room. Hi, uh, Bill. Hi, Bill. Uh, I would love to play a game where advancement is less about player learning how to do new things and more about equipment resource-based, especially since the campaign rarely actually covers the amount of time it would take to learn said new skills. That's kind of what Old Traveler was like. I don't recall... I mean, there may have been an advancement system for... I'm talking about the original little three black books. Yeah. I don't know if there was an advancement system. There might have been. I have them somewhere. I can go in and look, but... Our character advancement was, I got a better gun. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And I remember getting customizing weapons and things. Shopping was a big deal in Traveler. It may still be. Right. Um, in fact, I know it is because I watched your Yuma Station, Bill. <laughs> Shopping and, and stuff is still very important to Traveler. But that's kind of the way the game is built. It's not It's not a fault of the players. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that... People get so hung up on this is what the rule is. You kill a monster, you get XP, and they, they have a hard time thinking around that box or thinking outside of that box. In many ways, killing a monster with their sword is it would be the least way. It's like that's what you were trained to do. You're not really getting any better at it. Coming up with a new way to kill something is a is a much you know, that's where you learn. That's when you're like you get those epiphanies. Right. Um I th- in many ways, you would get more experience for coming up with a creative way to, to, to avoid a conflict or to, to circumvent the conflict or to solve the conflict than you would be for just attacking it. I, I, I actually think one of, one of the more elegant like experience character progression systems is Old Call of Cthulhu. Because you use a skill, you put a check mark next to it. Right? And then mm-hmm. <clears throat> you wait until you have a pause in the game in the in the storyline, and you have a character advancement session. They have a name for it. It's not that's not it. It's got another name. And then you go through all of those skills that you have a check mark next to, and you have to roll higher than them, which means the higher your skill level, the less likely you're going to advance. 
So, yeah. so the higher because it's a percentile it's system, harder and harder. So the, the closer it start, the closer it gets to one hundred, the harder and harder it's going to get to get it to advance more. Gotcha. And then when you when you do get to advance, I think you roll a d10 and then you add that. That's what you that's what you gained from from that session. But you just put check marks next to the skills you've used. That's the one thing. Like in a lot of point by systems like GURPS, um, I always instituted a rule, and I don't remember if it was in the rules or not, that you didn't get to advance a skill unless you used it in that session. I, I, I <clears throat> made that sort of a house rule whenever I ran Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and Vampire also has a, a, a very nicely defined uh, XP awarding uh, system. And I mean, they, yeah. this is also a game where you don't get hundreds of XP, you get like in a session, you might get three or four. Yeah, right. Um, Gurps is the same yeah, way. But it's like, you know, okay, you get, you get essentially, the, you almost always get one for showing up. And then, uh, you know, did your character learn something? Did your character do something that was badass? Did your character um, uh, accomplish some goal um, This that was for this session? Did your character accomplish some long-term goal? You know, get an, uh, one, one point for each of those things. It had nothing to do with how many other vampires you brought to their final death that right. particular session or anything like that. Um, but then, that's... Combat is not the focus of Vampire the Masquerade. It's, right. uh, as you said, it's very much... <laughs> let's stay away from this. <laughs> as oh, yeah. opposed to, like... I, I've never actually played Werewolf, but I imagine that the, as as Tappy called it, the uh, furry, rage-filled eco-terrorists... Um, it's not wrong. <laughs> that, that combat is more common. <laughs> more, yeah. more common for, for Guru yeah, well, than, than for, if you're, for vampires. If you're playing vampire with a bunch of gangrels, everybody's a gangrel. It's combat's all over the place. Or Bruja. Because yeah. it kind of just... I'm, I'm reminded of... Whereas the, the Toreadors and the Ventru are like, um, can we not? <laughs> exactly. So again, that, that stuff plays into it. I'm reminded of some games I played back in the really early 80s, uh, back when the heyday when people were coming up with a role-playing system every week. And it was either RuneQuest or Dragon Quest or one of the quests. And it was, you had a whole sheet full of skills and then percentage next to that. And every time you use that skill, you make a tick mark and you would get a couple points in it to improve it. But you had to do this bookkeeping of like, well, it's here, I used my accounting skill today, and I used my throwing <laughs> skill today, and I did a swimming skill, so how many points in swimming did I get? And how many? So you'd have to stop the session and, and award, uh, yeah, where did you swim? All right, you get two points in swimming. I mean, it, it was a whole thing. And eventually, you know, you got cool stats for it, but it is the ultimate in whatever skill you use, you got points in and improved. Yeah. And it, it can break down. At some point, you end up with an hour and a half of people <coughs> distributing two points of in, in all these different skills that they did during that combat. I mean, is that worth it? Is that is that fun for anyone? Well, we always did, like in GURPS, we always did character advancement away from the table. Yeah. Like yeah. You got your character points at the end of the session, and then wh- when we come back to the next session, let me know what you spent them on. Right. Or what you plan plan to spend them on. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually <laughs> award uh, XP to my, my players until they take a long rest. Okay. Um, and usually that, just because of the timing on things, that will coincide with the end of a session. Um, so it's like, you know, you know, you guys don't get any X- XP because you haven't taken a long rest or, you know, you guys have taken a long rest, you get your you get your XP, wasn't enough to bump you up the next level, but, you know, so don't worry about that, but um, you know, anyway. Alright, so there, there's a third question here. Unless we were not go. done with that. Go, go. Were you ever a GM in a similar type of game, not West Marches, that cobbled together a campaign from one-shots with the same players and multiple non-player GMs, whether those GMs had to coordinate their content or not? If yes, what was that experience like? What advice would you give for people planning to play or run those types of games? No. I have never been in that kind of game. (laughs) I have have not been in the, the floating GM kind of game. I did I did have sort of a thematically similar thing with one GM who um, this Quantum Leap kind of thing. We we were playing in Savage Worlds and the the setting would shift mm-hmm. from essentially a high fantasy D&D kind of setting to a Deadlands setting to 
uh, a cyberpunk like setting, a di- dimension hopping kind, dimension of thing. hopping, and he had a, a, a cool mechanic built into it such that you kept all, you always had all your character sheets, regardless of which version of your character you had. Oh, so you changed characters? You changed characters, but the thing is that, like, if I were in the cyberpunk setting, and I had a slightly different skill set because it's cyberpunk, right? As opposed to my Deadlands character who could fan the hammer, for instance, right? Um, and I wanted to fan the hammer. I could make essentially a memory roll to remember what a past life me could do and gain that skill mm. for that moment. Oh, okay. Just for that one moment. Right. Not for the whole th- the whole thing, but just for that one moment. And the difficulty was how many character sheets were between <laughs> your current character or it was it was rather based on your how many character sheets were between your current character and the one you were trying to access. How many characters did you have? We four. Okay, we had right. four, but like the order in which you played them mattered. Right, the order doesn't sound like fun at all. It, no, actually, it was. It, it actually weird. really was. A, it was a lot of fun. But um, are these all the same people? Like, they're how are they? How are these characters tied together? They they had they were the same, essentially the same archetypal character in each setting. It was like the Eternal Warrior. Uh, sure. Michael Moorcock, right? Mm, never, never read Stormier. it. Sorry, Look never up. read it. Yeah. Um, Never read it. You know, you had essentially the same kind of mindset in each, in, uh, you know, for each character. It was just a different, a slightly different setting. So, is it sort of like the same person, but but the different things transpired during the in their iteration of the universe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of. Yeah. It's Michael Moorcock's Eternal Warrior, which okay. is it's one one hero that's reincarnated throughout the ages. And so he wrote all these various series, but yeah. they're all the same. It's the eternal way. He's constantly being brought back, and they don't have memories of their old self until sometimes they do. Sometimes okay. later on, there's a death discovery, like oh, I was Elric. Wow. Right. Um, no, but I, no, I haven't had the the, the, <clears throat> the the rotating GM thing. Although I, I it, in my in my gaming circle, it is occasionally brought up of the idea of doing it, and we just never have. Right. I. I I would not be able to not start coming up with a meta story for like if you had something like whether well, something like this recurring artifact and you're trying to get home. I would it would be very difficult for me as a GM, even if I'm only GMing one session, to not throw in something like, "Oh, there might be some way to control this thing, possibly that you could figure out at some future point." Right? You know what I mean? Some sort of meta thread that's that's going to take that's going to eventually lead to a conclusion where sure. you do get home. I'm trying to remember. It, it, this is a little different because it wasn't multiple GMs; it was just you. But you basically ran a, a traveler game with one shots that we ended up abandoning because we all ran away. And the whole idea of that that was that you are, were all members. The, the, the crew had an indeterminate number of, or the ship had an indeterminate number of crew members. Yes, right. And whoever could make it to a session, yes, would be in whatever right. adventure that was. And and that worked great until we got to the point where they said, "Oh, we're going to leave our ship over here yeah. and hire a ship." Yeah. And now we're now yeah. all we our characters the, are spread over multiple parts of the party across <laughs> the entire galaxy. Yeah. yeah, and the ship was someplace where none of the characters. Were. Right, we up because Rob was like, "We got to ditch the ship." He, it was like it was like a hot car. It's like everybody else, right. we got to ditch the ship, and everybody go find your way back to home base on your own. Bye. Wasn't also that wasn't the one where like then you got another ship and one of the player characters just stole it? I don't. No, that was that was me and Star that Wars. was a, yeah that was oh, yeah, yeah right. that was a different game. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> Conflating my that was trick. Yeah. But um, like, hi, but I'm going to steal your ship. It, now. Did, it ended. Up, it, it ended. Up, it worked good until that thing happened. What, what, basically, once you guys got to what my story arc was, because you had jumped into an empty system, so you did or what you thought arc. was an empty system. <clears throat> yeah, there was a story. Oh yeah, and that's where you, like there's like these military ships in the system with a gray dwarf and a planet that is like some kind of weird like nano. Weapon sludge, and but there's a and there's a bunch of like military ships here, and you're in. I don't you're, think we got that. Far. Yes, you I did. Think we jumped in. And That's we went, what, Oh my god! And ran you away. freaked out yeah. because you jumped into the system. No, because they they sent a ship to rendezvous with oh, that's you. That's right. And that's they were going right. to kill all of you. That's right. And that's when you guys decided. And we ran away. And you ran much, away. Much like this email. And then said, they're going to recognize the ship. We need to get this ship out of here. And one of the things and you we did. we got no XP for running away, by the way. No. And one, <laughs> of, the, one of the things that you. Um, 
either didn't note or didn't take into account was the fact that you jumped into the space of a rival nation where those ships would not have jumped into. Yeah. But I don't know if you guys got, because the ships that you saw were like the sort of the future equivalent of the European Union yeah. Navy. And like the Russian Confederation Navy we were, was the space that you were. We were a little fuzzy to. on all the politics. I right. know that you had a whole political structure going on. And we were like, whatever, we got a ship, we're going right. to kill shit. So, yeah, oftentimes players don't pay attention to all of the little political machinations as much as you right. wish we did. And that's why you decided that your ship was now radioactive yeah. and you didn't want to have anything to and do with it. And then Stu threw up his hands and goes, I'm done with this game. <clears throat> so, uh, what advice would you give for people planning to play or run those types of games? These, this well, floating GM game. Well, one of the things that Bill just mentioned is that all of the GMs probably should consult to see if there is going to be a meta story yes. and what that meta story is going to be. Yes. This is going to be just like an ongoing Monster of the Week thing that never has a re- resolution, which it could, like Gilligan's Island. Yeah. You know, Gilligan's Island, you, everyone's, every episode they're gonna, there's going to be a chance they might get off the island, but they never do. Because yeah. like if one of the writers says, oh, I'm going to get them off the island, it's like, fuck you, you just ruined our whole, the whole <laughs> Congratulations, now we don't get another season. Right. <laughs> and that's not a foreign thing. If you think about, say, television shows or comic books or um, anything that's episodic where you have multiple writers, multiple directors, uh, and yet they're all still working towards a, an overarching meta plot. I mean, that's why you have a showrunner. You have a showrunner. You also have, uh, oftentimes when a show season starts, they have, you know, this is our end point, this is where we're starting, and we got all the stuff in the middle we got to fill up, but we, this is where we have to get to. It's. Something that simple. It happened in comic books all the time. You would end up with a fill-in issue. You would end up with uh, some other writers taking over for a little bit. Happens all the time in television. There's different writers on every episode just because you physically can't write a show every week and keep going. So they they (laughs) jump. They leave frog writers. Unless you're you're Straczynski. So if you... you, Yes, Bill is absolutely right. If all the GMs sit down and say, here's where we want to end up... In right. a writer's room, or at least just a, a loose idea of an arc. Like, well, when do we get to this point? That doesn't matter because if you're well, you do what you do. Pacing's important because you don't want. But if somebody you don't want one of the GMs to inadvertently like advance that meta plot too far, right? Right. But but if somebody's games take five five sessions to finish and yours only takes one, it's that you know you shouldn't be beholden to the fact that no, you have to stick to one. Yeah. Right. I, I, mean, I would I'm say if you were going to have this kind of round robin thing where you were trying, I would say shoot for one shots. It depends on what your time limit is. If you if yeah. you have if you if if you're gaming at a a day and a time where everyone's flexible and the session like if it's not going to be quite finished in three or four hours and you can run a couple extra hours to get to the conclusion point, go ahead and do it. But if not, I would say give the GMs the leeway to like one with a maximum of two sessions. Right. The idea is you get it all done in one, but if you have to run a second session, or even if you have to run part of a second session, because you could you could conceivably have one GM show up for the beginning of it, finish up that session, and then go to the next one if you have serious time constraints. And Monster of the Week is a great <clears throat> um, template for that, which is you know it's all just a string of one shots, and that you can keep going just doing that. You are a strike team that's brought in to, and dropped in on various hotspots around the world, the globe, the. The universe, whatever it is, to, to put out or deal with a problem, and then you're essentially the first two series of Star Trek. You're right, and then when that when that particular fire is put out, the other GM takes over and they they light another fire and send you there. Um, it, it's not hard to do. It eventually, though, I could see people just sort of getting bored of like, you know, it's Monster of the Week. You know, it's the same problem that a lot of television shows suffer from, which is like. It's just more of the same. Well, they, it? and, but in a them. lot of them, the ones that last end up having some kind of meta plot at some point. That's where I'm going like with some, that. Some, some sort of like, why are there suddenly all of these monsters when there weren't before? Right. Or, or whatever. Right. <clears throat> right. All right. The other, the other thing is, uh, the other advice I have, which is, you specifically say if you're having games where the GMs aren't players, but I gave you my advice earlier, which is, yeah, we had this sort of shared champions universe with various people jamming various sessions and one guy never GM'd, so his player ended up with all the XP. <laughs> and we uh, we see, didn't really didn't factor that in or th- consider it. That, see on. that that where where he says that he's doing this um, yeah, he via uh, uh, milestones <clears throat> instead that avoids that problem because then everybody is essentially leveling up at the same time. Except yeah, that player played more games and just 
through the fact of getting more milestones than anybody else, he well, ended up with more XP and advancing faster. That's yeah. I mean that he played in all the games, and the other GM players didn't. Yeah, I got that. Anyway, uh, cheers, Sean from just outside Washington D.C. Are you Jedi on Discord? P.S. Drink a tasty beverage of choice. I just uh, finished. I just finished mine. I've been doing so all through your email. So, um, PPS, pretend you all are co-DMing the next sto- story arc. Each of you contribute one element to the arc, such as setting location, the party's overall mission, a type of encounter, a BBEG, big bad evil guy detail, a secret, a MacGuffin, and so on. You know, that segues really well into what we're going to do That's a wonderful segue. In our collaborative yeah. world building. Yes. That's right. That, oh, wait, what, we have to do this for, for his type of thing we're gonna, first? We're going to pull the We can just together. do it for this one. We'll do it all, yeah. yeah, we're just getting uh-huh. part of this. We're doing it anyway. <laughs> Fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, to the world building, does it? Did anyone come up with anything for for world yes. building? I did. I you t- haven't have yours written down. I actually down. took it. Yeah, I took a thing from uh, from his uh, from him. So I actually was thinking about it the other day. Like, what? what and I haven't done an object yet. Last okay. time I was here, Chris made an object, so I he decided an to make an object. And I've written it down so you can have it later to put in your notes. This is a sword named Green Slade. Green Slade. Green Slade. S L A D E. Like Slade Wilson. Yeah. Wait, Wilson, but yes. <laughs> no, uh, Slade Wilson, De- Deathstroke. Deadpool. Um, <laughs> Same character. <laughs> this is a blade made out of uh, a finely polished hardwood. Ooh. Yeah, it, and it seems to be grown together rather than forged or carved. This is actually based on a game that when I was in uh, high school, one of the first played Ranger, and one of the, the GMs created this blade for me. It was a different name. I don't remember all of it. It's a lettuce knife. So it's actually <laughs> it's actually um, a blade that has been grown and and uh, so it was created by an ancient elven druid. Uh, Green slade is attuned to the forces of nature, and it's, it's made for rangers, but any sword wielding class could use it. It's rumored that the sword is merely one of a whole set of weapons created this way. And these stats could vary depending on what game you're playing, what uh, what level your characters are, and whatever you want to do. But this is just an example of what I would see. Let's say it's a plus four weapon. Upon drawing the blade, <laughs> it casts a druidcraft around its user. The effect Ooh. will cease when the blade is sheathed again. Druid, druidcraft is a D&D spell that just sort of has... It's it a cantrip. It, it, you, can, you, you, you can cause little flowering vines to grow... Bluebell okay. flowers, just, a yeah, slight gust of wind, when, you know, like it's a, a you, smell like it, of a flower, whatever. So when you draw it, there's a little wind and some leaves appear, and whenever you walk around, the the flowers start to bloom and seed pods open up, and so yeah. it, it, you can you know it, it's definitely attuned to the forces of nature at that point. It's um, it's just a passive effect. It's it's a look. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. Right. You can't make the leaves obscure your view or whatever. This is just a. You know, it's a special effect. It's yeah, yeah. It's yeah. flavor. Yeah. Right. Uh, on a natural eighteen or nineteen, it will cast. Well, you're getting very specific with your well game mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> on a natural eighteen, because or we're making a t- on a very good roll. On a very good roll, <laughs> it will cast Guardian of Nature upon the wielder, which lasts until combat ends. Now, Guardian of Nature is just um, it gives you tree barks armor. It so it would be a buff upon the player. It would, uh, increases their strength, increases their their armor, whatever. But it's okay. all nature based, so you basically you could be covered in vines. You could suddenly get tree bark. Uh, you you get straight. so whatever game system you're using, it would something natural happens to help you w- as a defender. Okay. On a natural twenty or a or really really high sort of success, yeah, yeah, you get. Um, I have searing smite written here, but it would be uh, an extra damage effect. Whether it's okay. a lightning bolt, whether it's um, a wall of force, whether it's roots that shoot through, um, something like that on a. As well as whatever damage you would get on top of the critical head. All right. I have. Um, it could be an NPC. It could just be folklore. Mm-hmm. NPC Depend- or legend. Or legend. Yes, exactly. The star metal merchant. There is a pervasive legend throughout the land of a traveling merchant who sells what has been called star metal. The merchant drives a covered wagon pulled by two massive Arak oxen and has been seen in various markets throughout the lands. No one has ever claimed to meet such a merchant on the road. Mm-hmm. Though some claim to have seen First the merchant... First hand. Right. 
<laughs> Some claim to have seen the merchant just arriving into a town or just leaving it. Okay. Um, the wagon serves as a sales stall and presumably living space for the merchant. The merchant only sells one commodity, star metal. Said to be harvested from stars that fell out of the sky, some smiths can alloy this material with steel to fashion superb quality weapons and armor. Uh, a little goes a long way with this stuff, but the cost of, that the merchant demands is high. The merchant does not haggle. If you do not want to pay his price, well, the price, sorry, uh, you won't get the goods. Mm-hmm. The price is a considerable amount of coin, never credit, and a small vial of the purchaser's blood. About an ounce. After making one sale, or after two days in a particular market without any sales, the merchant leaves. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, whether it's just... <clears throat> Whether you choose to use it as just sort of this this uh, pervasive legend that is in your game, or you actually have, you know, wait, you don't really exist, do you? <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I have it. I can. It's, <clears throat> on the, it's on the same document I shared okay. with you right. two weeks ago. So. Excellent. Okay. I'm just keeping <clears throat> it all in one place. I, I also have an artifact, and this is um, this is an orb like a crystal ball or something like that. Except it specifically, it, it, it's used by uh, the, the mage guild or whatever it is to uh, control the uh, the spread of magical knowledge. So they they maintain their their monopoly. How, okay. How does that work? They can take uh, any um, segment of a spell, like like if there's a if there's a um, like a uh, whatever the verbal, like whatever the, the 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 power words you say that that cast a specific spell, yeah, it can search out this this orb can search out any written copy of that. So you can t- so if they write down write down on a piece of paper, you know, ipsum lorum blah 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 or whatever, right? <laughs> that, that that's that's used in a specific spell, yeah, and then place the orb over it. It will show them every place where there is a written version of that. Oh, okay. So they can hunt down and either take it or make sure it's part of, it's owned by someone it's supposed to be owned by. And they mostly use this to, to, to hunt down rogue mages. Yeah, like if someone knows knows a specific someone, if they know that someone cast a specific spell to commit a crime or do some sort of atrocity, and they know what the spell was, they can write down a portion of the spell, use the orb to find out where every written version of that is. It also means that every dungeon and every hidden uh, ancient shipwreck or whatever would be immediately lit up because any any one that if it's got a, a spell, spell book in it with yeah. that spell, yes, right. which makes it really easy to control. Magical knowledge, right? Well, all kinds of knowledge. You right. could the, you could block off whole sections of the of the world and not tell anybody why, knowing full well that there's like an ancient city in there that you are busy excavating. Exactly, and you don't exactly. want to let the rest of the world know because you want to control it all. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot you could do. You could have your players even be carrying this thing around. They're tasked with going to these various places and getting a hold of these spells. So, yeah, that. Right. But that's a powerful MacGuffin right there. It is, it is. And it, this might be something that's lost. Yeah. That maybe the, the, the Mage Guild had at some point and someone stole it, or there was a siege and it's believed to have been destroyed, or who knows? Again, or maybe the wrong guys have it now and now they're using it to try to collect all of the necromatic spells they want to use so they well, can... Again, that falls into my like my favorite magical items, which is it seems fairly unique. Oh, it, it seems fairly harmless. Oh, it just, you know, it tracks down missing spells. Right, but when you start thinking about the ramifications of it, you're like, "Holy shit! This could be. This is like world changing." Yeah, the, the person who controls this can control entire governments because you know where their treasuries are. You know where all their wizards are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know what books are in? If you want to take the time, you can yeah. figure out what books are in some mage's library. Yeah, yeah. you could even find out. Like, like I said, you could find out where all their mages are. So if you're going to attack a city. You just go through, you know, all the fireball spells, find out where all their mages are, right. take them out first. Right, that's where you aim your trebuchets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, again, that's, uh, I love ga- I love items like that. That uh, upon further reflection, 
This shit's really cool. All right. Okay. Uh, that's it. Uh, what's, what's my thing? This, which one is it? That one. Yeah, I picked it right the first time. Thank you for joining us for season 28, episode 16? 16 of Happy Checks Everything Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. And I'm Kurt. And we'll see you next week, Saturday at uh, 10 p.m. 10 a.m. <laughs> Pacific time. Happyjacks.org slash live. See you then. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. From Michigan to Australia and maybe East Timor. Be a dress or exalted. Girls or dungeons and dragons. Hero can find the fatal savage world. make when you no problem have you don't want to make the preceding program has been a presentation of the angry folk media empire bum, 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 bum.